Thursday afternoon means finance today. And Barry Preston joins us. Another busy seven days, of course. We had the big one in there on Tuesday night. What was the that? announcement of the federal government's budget oh, for 21st yeah. season. Did you, you watch that, I heard? I the, didn't watch it, no. I didn't, no? didn't think it was uh, important viewing, but it will impact on our lives, I imagine. Well, our email, of course, was uh, full of uh, analysts and analysis and all that sort of thing. And a lot of them, I not being disrespectful, were deleted because I like to let things settle down mm. for this, uh, and just see when the dust, dust settles, what really is there? Because there's so much hype and paper and so forth. And in a lot of cases, uh, people get it wrong for the simple reason. One thing, I've had a couple of phone one call, one caller in particular was interested in this 200. When people sell their, their pensioners, when they sell their house, there's going to be some benefit there that you won't be uh, losing your full pension, you can keep some money in the bank. But okay. uh, there are stipulations. You've got to own your house for 25 years and then you've got to put that money away, I believe, for 10 years and the interest can't be... Look, uh, <laughs> it's let's wait till the dust settles and we're going to line Terry McCran up and probably put a few questions to him. Who else do we have as guests today? We are going to find out a little bit more about the fraud, what's happening in the world of fraud. Uh, Inspector... Uh, um, Matt, uh, dear, oh dear, isn't it, isn't it funny? Matt McCarthy is going to be with us uh, from the fraud and super crime squad in Sydney. Um, a cyber crime squad, I should say. And, of course, our usual entertaining uh, Henry Jennings. We're going to have a look at the market. Henry Jennings again. And, of course, comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard and Partners and or BBY stockbrokers may hold or trade shares in companies mentioned in this program. Pritchard's Australian Financial Services Licence 246712BBYs 238095. Henry, what's happening with the Australian dollar? It's just nearly the same as the US dollar. It's gone below the US dollar, Barry, actually. It's, uh, it's gone below parity. The Australian dollar, I guess, has been the big story of the week, apart from the budget, which we don't really want to talk about too much, as it's been talked to death. But uh, certainly the Australian dollar uh, below parity is the big story. There's been a number of overseas people um, suggesting that it's the trade of the century is selling the Australian dollar as the, uh, the budget deteriorates and the mining boom comes to an end. Talking about, what's the story hedge funds? And first of all, what are they? And they appear to be launching an assault on the Australian dollar and the stock price index. Could you tell us what that's all about? Um, well, hedge funds are big. Um, usually uh, there's more big ones in the US. They're, they're big uh, pools of money, usually from private investors. They don't have the same sort of uh, regulatory requirements that uh, the big funds like the AMP sort of do. Um, and what they do is they try and profit from, um, from discrepancies in price or various other different strategies, one of which is to be long something and short something else. And at the moment, they seem to have picked on the Aussie dollar as the one to be short of and have also been shorting what they call the SPY 200, which is the ASX 200 futures. Um, and they have been selling both. They did that quite aggressively yesterday around 11 o'clock, and they also have started again today. Um, we saw the market open quite positively today and then uh, get smacked again. So uh, overseas hedge funds, uh, which uh, can be quite aggressive, certainly leading the charge at the moment. Now, this is just a suggestion, of course, but the CBA seems to be on track to hit a profit of uh, between 7 and $8 billion for the year. Now, a lot of money, isn't it? It is. Well, we haven't got it in our tool, but there's another story. Maybe the bank should be running the Australian economy. Now, I didn't <laughs> say that. Well, I thought they were. Oh. Um, the, uh, well, certainly the RBA is one of the, the banks running the Australian economy, but um, certainly the numbers from CBA have been uh, very good, as have all the other banks. 
uh, most of which uh, they haven't got huge organic growth, but they, the growth they are getting is through uh, lower bad debt provisions as the economy still stays around sort of 5.5% unemployment. And they've also got uh, um, money in their pockets because they haven't passed on the rate cuts that the RBA has made quite as quickly or as quite as much as, uh, as the RBA has. So they've sort of clung on to profits that way. So uh, the banks aren't doing too badly. Interesting. The mining services sector, now, they're not quite popular at the moment amongst investors. What are they and uh, why? Well, mining services are the guys that actually uh, help the big miners like the BHPs and the Rios actually dig the stuff up. They supply the staff. They supply the technology, um, sometimes the infrastructure under contract mining to actually uh, actually do the, the work for miners. And the problem they've had is they have got quite high fixed cost in terms of uh, wages, um, and they also have been very, very slow to get rid of people, and they have been very slow to see the downturn coming. A lot of the big resource companies have been um, slashing uh, budget expenditures on new projects, um, and as a result, the poor old mining services guys are really have been hit very, very hard, and it's almost like a tap was turned off at the beginning of this year with projects cancelled, uh, expansions uh, cancelled. We've seen that with Olympic Dam um, and also with uh, with Woodside's project on the northwest shelf. It's interesting that, you know, BHP and Rio Copter whack yesterday. Uh, a bit of and a... today. And today. They're down again today, are they? Yeah, they're down again a... today, I'm afraid. Mm, uh, and... But of course, the new bit. Of course, the new BHP chief seems to be looking at saying, "Hang on, I'm going to take a knife to a lot of capital expenditure." That's not a good sign. Yet Rio Tinto has got approval from the government to go ahead with its uh, bauxite mine near Weeper in Queensland. Yeah, I mean, approval is one thing; going ahead is quite another. I mean, BHP <laughs> had approval to do Olympic Dam. Uh, Woodside was pretty much approved to do uh, to do their big uh, project. So, um, I mean, the, the thing they've got up at Weeper is a 40-year project. Um, you know, there are some environmental concerns. They still have to jump through a few hoops because I think they've um, been told, well, they're, they're looking at clearing 30,000 hectares of, uh, of land to mine the bauxite, although they do rehabilitate sort of as they go along. But it is a very much a long-term project for them. So, you know, they have to plan uh, way, way, way in, a, in advance of, uh, of what they're going to do. So not everyone's cutting back and not everyone's cutting back on, on, on all their projects, but certainly there is a, a, mm. new, um, a new austerity mm. going through mining companies at the moment, some enforced and some voluntary. Yeah, CSR had a good uh, bit of news with its profit. Um, did they? Uh, no. they? They seem to still be struggling very yeah. much with the uh, with the glass business, which they can't see through at the moment. Um, they, uh, they they bought this business Viridium uh, some years ago, and ever since they bought it, it looked like the top of the market. They've they've suffered big time um, with uh, with high competition um, from overseas, uh, the high Aussie dollar, um, and just uh, I think. Mm basic uh, mismanagement and it's, it has been a complete disaster for them. Mm, well, let's hope anyway they can pick up on that one. Sims Metal, it's having some problems in your homeland, the UK, with it is. fraud? That's it is. unusual. It's a What's word, isn't it? Fraud. They, they seem to have uh, run into some serious problems with, uh, with uh, some of their results um, over the last few years and uh, the, the management has been, uh, has been uh, gone. Um, they have been <laughs> sacked. Some, uh, some have uh, walked. But certainly there has been some suspicions that uh, profits were massively overstated for whatever reason and that there has been some fraud. Um, let's face it, the scrap metal business, uh, certainly from my experience in, uh, in South London, was never a particularly honest uh, business um, and to begin with. So, um, you know, these guys are certainly having some, uh, some major problems in the UK. How could you say that? That's terrible. Know. Hey, good news. <laughs> 
uh, Fortescue Mining has added some 3,000 workers. Yeah, Fortescue were very quick off the mark to uh, to lay off people when the uh, the iron ore price collapsed. I think your your uh, listeners will remember it sort of went from 160 down to uh, 87. I think was around the low, um, and Fortescue were very quick to uh, to lay off workers, uh, do capital restructuring, and, and pull back on some projects. The iron ore price, of course, then bounced. Uh, a couple of days later, um, and hit back up to sort of the 140s, 150s again. And Fortescue were uh, were back on the front foot, hiring all those people they sacked back again. And they they have laid on, put on a lot more workers, and they got rid of. But uh, you do have to question as iron ore has been slipping again, mm. back down to sort of 125, 126. Whether those workers have got any kind of longevity in their contracts. Interesting, interesting. One of our favourite stocks, I say favourite as far as talking about, and I love the sound of it, Billabong. Is that hanging in there with its takeover, or what's happening with this one? Um, well, Billabong must be the, the worst uh, takeover defence by any company in the entire universe. Um, they have given uh, a number of private equity buyers uh, sort of unlimited time to go through their books uh, and pick and, uh, and really pick through things. Uh, the problem that, that does present for companies is it is very distracting. It makes it very difficult for the company to actually run under normal conditions. And as a result, the company has been getting worse and worse, and the bidders have, uh, one has pulled out, and the other one has rapidly adjusted his price down from a dollar ten down to sixty, and will probably even uh, adjust it way below that if it does go ahead at all, which it looks like it won't. Um, so um, Billabong is in a bit of a mess. They've also had a number of key staff walking out, um, and uh, it does look like the great Aussie success story in the surf industry is uh, is no longer. So the waves have taken takeover have subsided by words. Mm. Wipeout, I think is the word. Senex, would you believe we interviewed the chairman last week on our radio program, and it's come up with uh, a reasonable gas find, uh, I believe. Yeah, they have, and the shares have been uh, doing okay in what has been a pretty uh, pretty tough market for resources. So it does kind of show you that if you if you do come up with the results, you know we do see some uh, some big runs on the board, and we, we saw it with a stock called Karoon, which uh, had a, a big success with its uh, third well, uh, Bilby One, um, which rallied from about three dollars sixty up to about six dollars sixty. So um, Senex and uh, and Karoon in that sort of gas oil space have been doing quite well, and it just shows, as I say, that results uh, do drive share prices. Interesting. Now, one more question before we go for a break and come back and look what's happening overseas. This is something I picked up in the Finance Review this morning. Car park owners are up in arms that they may not be able to pass on the state government cost increases that they're looking at. So what they're going to do is pass it on to shopping centre owners, uh, which may hurt the investors in those shopping centre. This is a bit of a roundabout, isn't it? It does seem a bit of a roundabout because I'm sure the shopping centre owners are going to pass on the increases to the actual shop owners um, who will then have to pass on those increases to the uh, to the shoppers themselves. Not so, the consumers again, come on. So, yeah, exactly. So oh. the poor old consumer at some stage is going to get slugged. Um, they're probably going to get slugged in double ways because they're going to have to pay higher car parking and then they're going to have to pay uh, higher prices um, through the retail stores to uh, to accommodate those higher prices. So it doesn't seem a particularly a good um, roundabout to be on, especially with the, uh, the growth of uh, internet uh, shopping. <laughs> Pass the parcel again. We'll be oh, back soon parcel. and we'll go overseas, Henry, when we come back. It is our finance today with Barry Preston. Our special guest is back in a matter of moments at 2 in your FM, which is now 28 to 1. Barry Preston continues now at 2 in your FM, 103.7. We are with Henry Jennings and we're going overseas now. 
Uh, it's amazing. I believe since 2007, there have been a large number of interest rate cuts worldwide. Do you have any figures on that? I think it's about 515 rate cuts worldwide. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly been um, a big theme in the world in the last few years, I guess, is this pump priming and stimulus packages that uh, various governments around the world have been trying to enact, um, also to try and get their currencies weaker to, uh, to help their export industries. And, of course, uh, we finally joined that party not long ago with, uh, with our rates starting to fall and our currency slipping below parity. Interesting. Mm. What's happening with the big Euro oil companies, BP, Royal Dutch Shell and some other companies? There's a bit of an inquiry happening. What's this inquiry? Any, any news on this one? They love inquiries in Europe and uh, this is no exception. So the, the big oil companies there are, are, are being looked at in terms of some, uh, some price fixing that they think may have been uh, going on now. That certainly seems to be uh, something quite an anathema for us to think of uh, oil companies and fixing prices. Did you use price? Anyway, keep going, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, these guys are going to be uh, hauled up in front of uh, an inquiry to answer charges on that one, but uh, I suspect it won't, uh, won't come to very much. Like an ICAC? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. And I can't with less interest and less, uh, less colourful uh, racing identities, I guess, in play. Okay, now our, your, your lovely land, the zombie land, the U, European uh, Union, how's it going? Any political well, scandals or grease well, in employment? It's good at the moment, actually, Barry. Um, we just had results last night from France showing that they've slipped uh, into another recession. I think that's the third they've had. Um, Mr. Hollande, or Monsieur Hollande, um, is now m- more unpopular than anybody else has ever been since they uh, put away the guillotine and, uh, <laughs> and put that one on, into mothballs. So I think if they brought it out, they'd probably get um, get him up there in the square um, and chop his head off. But uh, certainly he's very unpopular. They've had some uh, some riots also overnight in Paris. Mm-hmm. And we've also seen the German economy starting to slow as well as some of this sort of uh, European malaise does spread from the uh, periphery and the, and the sort of the, the southern um, the southern fun countries to the uh, the more austere and sober uh, northern northern countries in Europe, especially uh, you now we're seeing it with France, we've seen it with Holland, uh, and now we're seeing a little bit of that spreading to Germany. The country with the world's biggest debt. This this I, I don't understand this. <laughs> now, good investment fundamentals, common sense don't seem to play a part in this. But the Japanese Nikkei, the share market's up six seventy four percent in six months when the Japanese floats in a sea of red ink. I just don't follow. I, I, I just, I don't. It's, it's called the weight of money barrier. That's the thing. Oh. I mean, that's the thing that is at the moment driving both the U.S. market to uh, to all-time highs and also the Japanese market, which went through 15,000 on the Nikkei um, a few days ago. The, the, the stimulus packages that the, uh, the central banks are putting into their economies, uh, in America you've got about $85 billion of money going into their, uh, into their markets every month, and the Japanese are putting in nearly twice as much as that. So it has to go somewhere. Um, and, uh, of course, the, uh, the central banks would like that money to actually go to real people with real businesses doing real jobs and producing real things to uh, encourage growth in the actual real economy. But, of course, the banks themselves take mm. the free money they're being offered and plough it into things that are giving them a return that they can be uh, fast on their feet with, which is stock markets at the moment. So um, I'm not sure how successful um, the, uh, the central banks are being, but they kind of work on the trickle-down effect. Mm, pass the parcel. Mm. Okay, one last one. It looks like uh, the USA, some good news, its deficit's falling. This is not creative accounting, is it? 
Uh, no, it's actually not. This is, this is some good news, actually. The U.S., which, has, uh, which is booming at the moment, as, as the markets will tell you, um, their profit numbers haven't been too bad. Uh, and what has happened since the, uh, the, you know, the last few months is that their budget has been cut by law, the so-called sequestration, where uh, budget cuts have been enacted. So we've got a combination of, uh, of, of lower spending and higher tax revenue, something that Mr. Swan may, uh, may want to bear in mind. Um, and that is actually creating a, a deficit um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, they're actually um, getting in more than they, um, they're, they're spending. So I guess um, the surplus on their deficit is improving. But um, certainly with nearly $17 trillion in, uh, in deficit, <laughs> They have a long way to go, but they're certainly, at least they're, they're heading in the right direction at the moment. Let's hope it continues. Henry, on behalf of everyone at 2NURFM, thank you very much. Keep safe. Look forward to seeing you next week. Pleasure. Thank you, Barry. Easy listening to NURFM 103.7. It's Finance Today, Thursday afternoon with Barry Preston. It never stops. The criminal element of society works 24-7, and we thank Inspector Matt McCarthy, who is the Intelligence Manager, Fraud and Cyber Crime Squad, State Crime Command in the New South Wales Police Force. Matt, how are you? Afternoon, Barry. To you and your listeners. Very well, thank you. Heading into the tax time, what should we look out for and what's happening in this sort of area? Indeed. I guess letters and emails for criminals may be using the legitimate head-to-head of the ATO. And what they might do, they might use, say, Skype, where they'll get a local number, and you'll call that number because you've received a letter saying you're entitled to a refund, but you'll be directed to an overseas call centre. Um, you'll be promised a, a modest refund, um, but provided you transfer money overseas. They might ask you to perhaps go to the post office or use Western Union, or perhaps pay with your credit card. If you're in any doubt about correspondence from the tax office, um, call your accountant um, or the ATO, or the relevant numbers on the website, which is ato.gov.au. Don't respond to that letter. That's correct. Absolutely. Especially when they want to transfer money. The taxation department doesn't ask you to do that unless you've done something to start with, I think. No, that's right. With the tax office coming after you for money, they'll come knocking your door. But (laughs) you'll you'll get your letter saying, here's your refund. They they don't ask you for money in order for you to get your refund. That's that's the message there. And the theft of one's PIN or personal identification, we use it in credit cards, debit cards. How can this be stolen? We've heard sort of uh, electronic theft from it. Uh, you know, walking past your wallet and this sort of thing. Is this Indeed. Well, well, the first message there is always to cover your hand when you use an ATM or an FPOS machine. Um, there may be a skimmer on the ATM which actually films you using the keypad. That's very rare, but you know, it does happen. Or if you pay for something, say, in a service station, uh, pay for petrol using your, your credit card and your PIN, there is no doubt a surveillance camera there, so you don't know who's behind the counter. So, again, just for your own protection, it's always you know, um, just a good measure to always cover your hand. So that protects your PIN there. And, again, I guess in terms of giving it out, um, if the bank calls you and wants to verify you, um, by using your PIN number, they'll never do that. It's, it's, that's a scam as well. Um, but in terms of your question about you know, people walking past you and, 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 and scanning your card, um, all well, basically Visa and MasterCards now are coming with what they call um, PayPass or PayWave or contactless payments. And that's a radio chip that's fitted within the card itself. It's not the gold one on, on the front. That's a different process altogether. This is a special you know, chip inside the card itself. And how it works is when you go to, to pay for something, it transmits the data on the front of your card. So that's your, your name, the card number, and expiry date. It doesn't transmit the three-digit security number on the back, which only you should know and only you possess. And when it does the transaction, it also generates a very large and random number that indicates that no, that is your card. It's been issued by your bank and hasn't been reported stolen. And even if someone does manage to intercept that random number, it's a very long number, um, 
if you then use your card throughout the day, say to purchase petrol going home in the afternoon or do, going shopping at night, and they try to use your card the following day, that number is useless to them. So while we might see TV shows that might indicate you know, someone will walk up to you with a sensor and, and read the card through your wallet, the information they get from your card can't be used to do online payments. So I wouldn't be concerned with that. Ah, fantastic. So you don't have to buy an aluminium wallet or anything like that, eh? <laughs> uh, there's, there's no need to do. I mean, they, they do a very good trade. It always depends on how much information you want to protect, but there, there's no need to, to go to that extreme. Again, the information they scan off the front cannot be used for online payments or, or, or other, other debits off your card. The next one I'm going to ask you about is uh, to do with your heart. We see this on television, uh, and it's really some challenging thoughts here. The dating, uh, looking for partners sites. Indeed. These can be a little bit dangerous. Um, it comes down to, again, protecting information and being very, very cautious and very careful. I mean, the advanced fee frauds that um, are what dating sites are is a, a scam will play on your emotion, and the idea is to take you for... No, all the money you're worth. So you've got to be very suspicious, especially if the person is overseas and they ask you to send them money overseas. And it might be perhaps to help a new relative pay for a new computer so they can keep talking to you or the extreme of paying for a visa and airfare costs to come and meet you in Australia. There are some things you can do um, just to, again, you've got to do your angel diligence when you're dealing with these people. It may be legitimate, but to make sure what it's satisfied in your mind it is, some simple precautions. Um, if you've got you know, an iPad or an Android device now or a computer, um, you'll never really have, have some sort of camera. So if you talk to them or use, or use Skype to talk to them overseas, you're actually seeing the person you're talking to, having a first-hand conversation with them. Um, over a period of time, very quickly find out where they work. So call directory assistance um, in that country and call them up just to say hello and surprise them. So you've got to verify everything they say to you along the way. And when you then have a level of confidence that this is the person I'm dealing with, then you can then engage in, in more personal ways with them. But again, if they are generally interested in you, uh, there should be really no reason they should be asking you to send them money. That's it. Why would you send money? Anyway, that's another story. That's a, that's a personal decision, but be very careful because if they get your money and they'll keep at it and then you get to the stage where you're trying to chase it to get it back. Indeed. I mean, with any message, it comes down to never send money to someone you haven't met and never send money to anyone for any purpose on the strength of an email or a phone call alone. I get a lot of these, uh, Matt, the invoice one gets for goods to be delivered, pay a small fee and receive the goods. Of course, that's a scam because I've never ordered the damn goods. Um, indeed. Again, it's a form of advance fee fraud. They're saying, oh, I've ordered this, I, I should pay for it and I'll, I'll get these goods. The end result of that is all, if you go to the other degree, you might actually receive the goods. You might be, you might have applied for a job to be a reshipper or a reshipping agent. So some goods are delivered to you and you then forward them on. They've come from country A and you'll forward them on to country B. But if you're asked to do that, what the fundamental is, is, is you are handling stolen goods. The criminals have purchased the goods using stolen credit cards and they don't want to know that you know, exactly where this where these goods are going to, so they'll use a third shipper. So if the goods at the other end are intercepted, they're actually coming from you. They're coming from your address, your home. So when the police come knocking on the door, they're saying, you're the one sending stolen goods. And then the victims come forward and say, well, you're the one sending my goods. I want my money back. So, again, if you're asked to you know, send money on an invoice to receive goods, that won't happen. And likewise, if you're asked to act as a reshipper, don't do that because you're actually handling and moving on stolen goods to assist organised crime. Interesting. We're talking with Inspector Matt McCarthy, Intelligent Manager with the Fraud and Cyber Crime Squad in Sydney, and we'll be back in a moment to talk about some more things to be very cautious of with frauds and scams. It's Finance Today with, Finance Today with Barry Preston. And we're talking with Inspector Matt McCarthy from the uh, Fraud and Cyber Crime Squad. Matt, 
Are criminals still embedding their employees in good, legitimate businesses? Um, it's not to say it doesn't happen. Um, generally what they'll do is they'll target businesses that have a very high um, cash turnover and with a, a lot of staff to actually bury those people within them. So typically you might have financial institutions that, that might be targeted uh, to embed those criminals. And it's not too hard to bring in certain strategies in order to protect yourself. The first thing which is always important is a police check on application. So if you're going to employ someone, you do a police check. And as part of their, their contract when you employ them, if they then transfer within the business, they're subject to another police check. If they're promoted, they're subject to a police check. Research indicates that after roughly five to seven years, someone in finance may then decide to deviate and go down the path of stealing you know, um, money from the company. And what they generally do, or the indicators of these people who take large amounts out, they might have a large delegated authority to spend money, or likewise, it might be in accounts. And they'll pay invoices coming in, but they'll, because they're an organised crime group, they'll generate false invoices. These schemes come tend to fall apart um, when they go and leave. So what a lot of businesses do now is they insist staff take two-week block of leave, and that way it just indicates that if some suspicious invoices come in, they're not there to process them. Someone else comes and picks up and looks for those indicators. Ah, that's a clever way of finding out. Fantastic. You're supposed to take your holidays regularly anyway. Oh, indeed you do. Hmm. Some type of fraud involving motor vehicle sales online. We're just getting out of time, but we can sure get an answer to this one. Yep. Motor vehicle sales online. This is a good one. Indeed, a quick one with that. Uh, the scam typically is the person is going through a divorce or they're overseas or moving overseas, need to offload a car, a camper, um, a truck, some sort of some sort of vehicle. They'll offer it at a 50% reduced price, and the scheme is, look, I need to offload it now. Um, you sound like a good person. If you pay me 50% now, I'll then move the vehicle, and you pay 50% when it arrives. You think that's pretty fair, That's that, that sounds legitimate, but even though you're only paying 50% of what they ask, the car doesn't exist. And often they'll ask you to transfer money overseas, perhaps using Western Union. So again, be very careful where an expensive car is offered very cheaply and the alleged owner needs to offload it very quickly. Chances are it could be a scam. Matt McCarthy, thank you very much indeed for bringing us up to date on fraud. We endeavour to try and keep our listeners ahead of all the crims. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you again. Keep safe.